Lord, we thank you for another opportunity uh, to gather together and worship you. Lord, thank you for your gospel, for the hope we have in you. And Lord, as we hear the preaching of your word, we ask that you would be glorified and we would be edified, that you stir up affection for you by your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I'm still reeling from And Can It Be. That's, that hymn is awesome. Man, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. They just don't make them like Charles Wesley does, do they? Beautiful. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. It's also in the back of your bulletin. There's a great show out uh, based on a novel series. It's called A Man in the High Castle. I don't know if you've heard of it, but if you haven't, go home and watch a few episodes. It's awesome. Okay, after the service. Don't leave now. Okay. <laughs> so it follows 1960s America in a post-World War II America that looks a lot different than what we experience it today. In this story, the Axis powers have won. And it follows the journey of a few people who have discovered a rumor about some films which shows a whole different ending to World War II than what they've experienced. In the films, this contained the history that we experience, where the Allied powers won, the Axis powers lost. And the person who has these films is a mysterious man known as the Man of the High Castle. Well, they come to find out that it's not just films. It's a lot more real than that. In an epic sci-fi twist, it turns out there's actually another dimension, a whole different world in which life is a lot different, where the Allied powers won, right? A life of victory and freedom and not of defeat, right? Life, not death. And that's kind of what St. Paul is talking about in our passage this morning. Well, if you look at the first verse, verse 12, you see this word that comes up all the time in Paul's work, doesn't it? Therefore. There's one word that, Je that Paul says more than Jesus, right, in his works. It's the word therefore. Well, when you come across the therefore, as a good theology professor of mine used to say, you got to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore, right? <laughs> it's, it's clever. I, I'm going to hold on to that one and keep using it. So. Therefore is a phrase, which means so then. In other words, what Paul is telling us is that in order to know what he's going to talk about now, in these next few verses, we have to first know what's already been said. To know where we're going, we have to know where we've been. There's a direct correlation between verses 1 and to 11 and 12 to 21. And it can be kind of summarized like this. Since Christians have been completely delivered from God's wrath, verses 1 through 11, Christ must have completely overturned the effects of Adam's sin. It's 12 to 21. That's it. That's the sermon. I guess we can move on to communion now, right? <laughs> Some of you looked way too excited about that. <laughs> All right. I'm going to be up here for a little bit longer, all right? 
Well, so there's this theme in Romans, right, that's kind of everywhere in Paul's writings, and I don't know if you've uh, noticed it, but it pops up everywhere in Scripture, right? The idea of the gospel. The idea that Jesus conquered sin and death so that we can have a right relationship with God the Father empowered by the Holy Spirit through his sacrifice pops up everywhere in Scripture, and it leaks out of the pages of Paul's writings to the Romans. See, the gospel, it's a simple thing, right? But don't we just forget all the time? I know that I forget what I had for breakfast two days ago, and so I can't count on myself to remember just the beauty and the majesty of the story of the gospel. And so Paul spells it out for us in Romans 5, 12 to 21. And he shows us that we were born dead in Adam. We are raised to life in Christ. And we are covered in grace. So let's dive in, starting at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, there's that word, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. It's kind of a confusing verse, right? Did you guys know there's a Bible verse about how confusing Paul is? Like, even Peter thinks that Paul is confusing, right? He says, I get it. Paul writes really weird, and it's hard to understand him. So if you're concerned that you were alone in being confused by this really complicated verse, you're not alone, trust me. So it looks like Paul is saying sin came through one man, right, which he is, and that death came through that one man's sin. But then he goes and he generalizes it and says sin came into the world because all men sinned, and therefore death spread to all men. All right? Well, that word for men is anthropoi, which means people. So ladies, there's not a free pass for you here either. <laughs> right? Man, the other two services didn't think that was funny. I was concerned it was funnier <laughs> in my head than it was out loud. Or they didn't laugh as much as you guys did anyway. So that's good. So I'm not the only one that thinks it's funny. So what's Paul talking about here? Right? Well, when we think of sin... We think about specific things, right, typically, like lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, sexual sin, whatever, right? Like, pick your poison, it's in there somewhere, right? Well, those are sins, yeah. But Paul's talking about something um, a little bit bigger than that, right? He's talking about this thing called original sin. What's original sin? Original sin is the idea that we are born into sin. We're inheritors of it. It's like a disease. There's nothing that we can do to not be born into sin. Okay, it's just what it means to be a human being after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. So here's the thing. Even if you could weigh yourself up against every other person in the world and find yourself better than them, more obedient, less of a sinner than them, which I don't think any of us could, because what does that even mean, right? We would still be under the curse of original sin. We would still be in need of a Savior, something outside of ourselves to save us from this curse that we are under. And it's important to understand that, because if we 
think that it's about being good or bad, then maybe we can find the solution in ourselves. But when we realize that it's greater, that sin is something that I can't help but do of myself, it points to the need that I have for a Savior. Look at verse 13. Even when there is no law, sin is real. Even if you can't look at the list of symptoms, it's still there. Even if you can't tell. Right? Sin is kind of like a cancer. It eats away at you even if you don't know it's there. Let's continue to verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. You guys notice a theme in these first few verses? It's not about whether or not we're good people. The theme here in these first few verses is death, which leads us to our first point. We are born dead in Adam. We are born dead in Adam. See, one of the most common negative reactions to the gospel message, to the teaching of Jesus, is the idea that we're sinners, right? It's because we fancy ourselves to be good people, right? I mean, speaking for myself, I often find myself weighing myself up against somebody else, using an artificial standard I've created for myself to decide whether or not I'm a good person, rather than look at the standard of a righteous, perfect, and holy God. But that's not a biblical idea of what sin is. It's not moralism that Christ died for. Some of the nicest people I know, some of these people that I would classify as good people, are atheists. Diehard, full stop atheists. But the message of the gospel isn't about us simply being brought from being bad people to good people. It's about us being raised from death to life. And that's what Paul gets at in these next few verses. Let's take a look at 15. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You know, it's, not, it's not cool in our culture to call sin, sin, right? But it's necessary. Look what Paul is doing here. He points to this bad news that we're not just bad people in our sins. We are dead in our sins and uses it to point to the reality that the good news is more good than the bad news is bad. If many died much more, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Let that sink in. Are you you guys hearing that? That the gospel is free. Grace. It's a gift. It has nothing to do with our performance stacked up against somebody else, these artificial standards that we create for ourselves. Why does a loving father give gifts? Why does anybody give gifts? To show love, right? Just like we inherited original sin, we inherited death in sin through Adam, in Christ we inherit this gift of the grace of God. We don't earn it. 
God gives us this gift. He offers us this gift of grace because he loves us. And there's a similarity there, right, between Adam's curse and Christ's blessing. I'm starting with the sheer fact that both originate in somebody other than ourselves, right? It comes from outside of us. You may have noticed in verse 14, Paul calls Adam a type, right? A type of the one to come. A type simply means this. Adam is foreshadowing the one who is to come. There are connections between the first Adam who falls, right, and the second Adam, Jesus Christ. There's a story there that's connected, being the benefactor of something that's human-wide. And so, though Adam is the fallen Adam, he is a shadowy figure which points to the light from light, which is the true and perfect Adam, Jesus Christ. Because through Adam, we are born into a curse, but through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we are reborn into a blessing. Let's continue to verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. There are two words uh, in that verse which I think it's helpful to define. Right? So we have condemnation, and we have justification. Okay, In their first century context, these are legal terms. Right? And I get a little nervous about defining legal terms because my wife's a law student. <laughs> so she can correct me later if I get anything wrong. Um, though I don't know if you guys use ancient Greek law nowadays. Uh, condemnation means that you have been, ha- so have been uh, given a legal penalty, right? There's a legal penalty there. Justification means that you are acquitted of that penalty. Right? You are acquitted of that penalty. So we're born, condemned, and dead in our sins by Adam. And in Christ, we're acquitted. Here's why this is kind of crazy awesome, right? Remember our first point, we're born dead in our sins? What do dead people do? Nothing, right? Nothing. Dead people don't do anything. Can a dead person speak on behalf of themselves when they're accused of something? No. Can a dead person raise themselves back to life on their own accord? No. But we who are dead in Adam, dead in our sins, are justified by Christ. We are raised to life in Christ. And Paul gets real excited about this and keeps going on it for the next few verses. So let's take a look at verses 17 through 19. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Our second point, if you haven't caught on to the theme already, is we are raised to life in Christ. We are raised to life 
in Christ. Just like we are born into sin through Adam, in Christ we are reborn into eternal life. Man, I've been waiting the whole message to tell you that. That's like my favorite part. (laughs) That's good news, right? That Christ didn't die to make good people. He died to make living people. It's good news because it doesn't matter how good you were or how bad you were. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter how smart you think you are or how dumb you think you are. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is, what your last name is. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your worst day looks like or your best day looks like. If you are in Christ, you are alive. You're alive. We are free in Christ from the bondage of sin that left us in death. I look back at what Paul says. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. It's a gift, right? But we got to grab hold of it. I believe God draws all people to himself. All right, I'll put my cards out there. I think it's clear in Scripture. And I also think it's clear in Scripture, and we see what Paul is saying, that we have got to repent and believe the gospel for ourselves. There is a promise of life in Christ. There is forgiveness, right? There's rest for wandering and weary souls, but it's only in Christ. And that means that each of us have got to bow down before King Jesus, repent, believe the gospel, tell him, you are Lord and I am not for ourselves. Nobody can do that for you. Let's continue on to verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our last point is we are covered in grace. We're covered in grace. Earlier, we talked about the problem of moralism, right? This idea of stacking up my behaviors to see how I fit in standing with God, when in reality what we see and what Paul is writing and throughout the story of the gospel is that our standing with God is dependent solely on whether or not we are in Christ, okay? Well, there are two kinds of moralism that tend to leak out in our culture today. There's legalism, and there's licentiousness, right? Legalism means that I think that I am earning my standing with God, right? If I cross off the right T's, right? If I check the right boxes, right? If I do this in this exact way, then God will love me. Now that's not grace. But then there's the other side, licentiousness. Licentiousness says, since I am saved by grace, I can just keep doing what I'm doing, right? If I'm saved by grace, I don't need a life of repentance, right? There's no change of heart here, right? If I say, since I'm saved by grace, I'm just going to keep on sinning. There's no change in heart. And what kind of grace is that? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, my favorite 20th century German theologian, stacks it up like this. 
he talks about costly grace and cheap grace, which, of course, in cheap grace, we can lump in moralism, right, like legalism and licentiousness. He says it like this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. But costly grace, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods to have. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciples drop their nets and follow him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. It is the gift which must be asked for. It is the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls a man to follow, but it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, but it is grace because it leads a man to the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin, but it's grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, it is costly because it costs God the, the excuse me, getting excited, cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered himself up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Friends, we're covered in grace. We don't earn God's love. We don't earn our salvation. But there's a cost to this grace. There's a cost to the life of following Jesus, to the life of discipleship. Just to drop another Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote, because he's awesome, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. True life in Christ, it can only be found by death to self. Remember that when Jesus called his disciples, he told them to drop everything and go. Paul calls this, counting it all loss for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that you're going to have to leave your job and leave your house or anything like that to follow Jesus, but what I am saying is that the life that Christ calls us to, a life in grace, requires us to be willing to leave everything for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ, who paid it all for our salvation. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. We were born dead in Adam. We talked about this. Dead people can't save themselves. They can't do anything. But we are raised to life in Christ. By faith in Christ, we are saved and made alive forever. This means we're covered in grace. The kind of grace that we can't earn, but the kind of grace that changes us, that reaches into our hearts, that fills us with the Holy Spirit and inspires us to live our messy, broken lives to the glory of God. Because we're going to keep messing up and keep getting it wrong till the day we die.
but let's not let that be for lack of seeking to follow Jesus, right? This is the journey of the Christian life, and we can't do it alone. When Christ saves us, he calls us into a life of community, into the life of his bride, the church, right? So here's a challenge for us, Christ Church, as we get ready uh, to talk about where God is leading us in the year 2020. Is that the kind of life that we're going to commit to together? Can we commit to living a life covered in grace together, where we joyfully receive the grace of God and joyfully give the grace of God to each other? Will we laugh and cry and pray and sing together? Because if we're going to follow Jesus, that's the life that he calls us to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, as we continue this time in worship, Lord, as we sing and pray and receive communion together, that you would nourish us and strengthen us and that we would be set on fire for your gospel, to live a life filled with grace for you and for your glory alone. Amen.